0: You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 32, airing on July 5th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. Sandy, in the last episode, number 31, we talked about your trip to Zambia last month and uh, all of the uh, experiences you had. And we talked about Zambia and trafficking in that part of the world. And um so if you if you missed that episode, you may wanna go back and listen to episode number thirty one because some of what we're gonna talk about today is gonna be a continuation of that conversation. But hey, don't worry if you didn't listen to that one already, because we're gonna be talking about some new things too, and you can always go back later and pick that up as well. Um but I thought Sandy we'd kind of transition from our conversation just about Zambia on the last episode to now starting to look at some of, the, um, some of the factors around trafficking and educating ourselves more effectively that really came out during your, our interview last time. And one of the things that we've talked about on previous episodes is the push factors and the pull factors in trafficking. So before we jump into that, could you just remind us all about what, what are push and pull factors and why is that language used?
1: Well, we say push factors because we want to identify what makes a victim vulnerable. What are the issues that push them closer to the edge? When I was in Zambia, um, my class, (coughs) excuse me, when I was in Zambia, (coughs) my class was just desperate to understand why is this happening to our kids, the children in Our communities, what makes them so vulnerable to this? Because we look at the law of supply and demand, and there's a demand, and we know that then the sellers go look for a supply. Mm -hmm. But if you think about this in terms of agriculture, um, when we have a demand for more um, tomatoes, then we go to the farmers, and we don't look for, for fruit that's not ripe. We look for the fruit that's just really ready to pick. Mm-hmm. Well, push factors um, create that um, low-hanging fruit that's just ready, easily accessible by the supplier. And some of those push factors are very disturbing in a country with really low socioeconomic um, circumstances. So you're going to find the, the really um, obvious things like poverty that is a push factor. And um, you'll see the fact that there's unemployment, there's nowhere to find a job, um, access to education, but some of the more personal and individual push factors we don't often think of here in the United States. We've talked about things like child sexual abuse becomes a push factor. But whether you're a girl or a boy in a cultural setting in Africa is a huge issue for instance um, if a parent has to make a choice about buying shoes for one of their children they have the money to buy one pair of shoes they're going to buy shoes according to the people I talked to there for the boy and their logic is, he needs to go to school, and he has to have shoes to go to school because he needs an education. She's going to mm. get married, so she doesn't need an education. Wow! So gender becomes a push factor, and in fact, in the um, there's a report that comes out every year. I think the United Nations does the State of the World's Children report, and this idea of gender as a push factor is related to literacy rates. Um, Fewer girls have the same level of education. Many of them are completing primary school, but they don't go on to complete elementary, and very few complete secondary school. So if you can imagine, Dave, that your son Luke, his highest level of education would be third grade. Can you imagine his chance in life to compete?
0: scary to think about and i often think about him when we're talking about these stories because it's just incredible to even imagine that he'd be in any of these situations and yet unfortunately so many of the children of the world are in these situations all the time and so uh, it's it's just really hard to get one's head around sandy and uh, that's one of the reasons i'm glad we're talking about these issues so we can educate people who ultimately can make a difference for the world's children.
1: Well, one of the um, de- definitions of child trafficking is child marriage. And this, uh, because the adult male purchases a child to marry, this becomes a trafficking issue. And so when you look at the, at the State of the World Children Report and children, girls under the age of, of 15, 9 out of 100 are already married. Wow! This becomes a family practice to reduce the number of of mouths to feed around the table, and it also provides an income because there's a bride price—a bride price that's paid. I can say that, like
0: a dowry, or yeah. yeah.
1: And um, the 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 stories that I I was told um, didn't make this like a huge price uh, one. One story from a village that um, one of the teachers told me: a father sold his daughter, and found out later that if he had asked for a little bit more, he would have gotten enough to buy a bigger television than the one that he actually purchased. Wow. Um, And and the other aspect of of gender being a push factor: expectations for violence when they when they interviewed. Um, adolescents, children between the age of 10 and 18, for this report, 55 of the boys said it's okay for husbands to beat their wives.
0: 55 out of 100? 100. Mm.
1: But here's the startling thing 61 girls out of 100 said it's okay for husbands to beat their wives. Mm. So this idea of of being a girl, being a female, as a push factor, it just totally raises your um, your risk for being trafficked. Then, if you're an orphan because of HIV/AIDS or some other circumstance, that pushes you closer to the edge as well. Mm-hmm. If you're um, running away from from some kind of abuse and you're on your own, you're living in the street. If you've been, um, if your mo- if your mother is a widow, she has no resources. That increases your risk. And if you are an ethnic minority, and and it's difficult for us when we look at another country to identify who are the ethnic minorities, but when this issue was raised in the classroom. Um, you could see the knowing looks and the hands going up. Oh yes, we have this ethnic group and they're always marginalized in our community. So this becomes something that just pushes you closer to the edge. So we did a little exercise in class. We had a young man stand in the front and a young girl. And we began to go through these exercises and we created this um, role-playing idea so that each one of these push factors would appropriately literally push the person towards the line close to where the trafficker was standing mm. and the boy hardly moved at all hardly moved at all the girl though it didn't take very long before she was really literally on the edge and the trafficker his only goal was to make money he was going to be the supplier for the demand and we'll spend another day looking at what demand looks like in on the continent of Africa but he was just ready to reach out as soon as she got close enough as soon as her need to be um, find another way because she had no options behind her he was ready mm. and that's what push factors are. You don't have to be a really wily, clever trafficker if the push factors put her so close to the edge, she'll just fall. There's a tipping point.
0: And that's one of the things I remember we talked about in episode 31 of that, because of the socioeconomic situation, because of the cultural situations, that there's a lot of vulnerability that's already there in a country like Zambia that it doesn't really take much for someone to come in with the promise of a better life and of financial resources to, um, to really motivate people to want to explore that. And of course, unfortunately, uh, it's n- not often the case. In fact, many times not the case that there really is a great opportunity there. In fact, that's the entrance to something like trafficking.
1: The, the people in my class um, were less concerned about international transit trafficking. They saw it. But what they really wanted to understand is internal trafficking. Um, and it was a route that went from rural to urban. And the cities are growing at astronomical rates. Mm-hmm. And so there is a great demand for cheap or free labor, slave labor, and the rural areas have no um, job opportunities. They're very poor, and they want to have the benefits of of Western life that you find in the cities. They want to have television and computers and things like that. Um, so there's this uh, push-pull between rural and urban. And because education is lower in the rural areas, Um, educating the parents becomes a number one prevention strategy. Mm. So many of the class participants left there with ideas about going to the villages. Now, most of the ways that we've done awareness events wouldn't work there. Um, We talked about what are some strategies, and someone said, oh, well, we'll take this literature because the government produced these wonderful Uh, Flyers and someone else raised their hand and said, Well, the people in my village couldn't read that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So you can't just pass out flyers and say, I've done prevention. Mm -hmm. What it's going to take in this context is one person talking to another person and explaining what these are. How do you do that? But what if, what if you're dealing with the issue of kids with no parents or kids who, children whose father, is no longer in the picture and so now there's a widow. What do you do then?
0: I don't know. Well, yeah.
1: they ask me what I would recommend
0: hmm. and
1: I'll tell you Dave coming from a western perspective I want to be really careful not to say well this is how we do it in Orange County because yeah. in Orange County we have literally millions of dollars in right.
0: resources. Well and it's a very different world and a very different culture too.
1: So, um So I decided what I needed to do was go back to a um, a resource that would transcend culture and could be adapted. So I went back to the Bible Hmm. because I discovered a long time ago that one of the first child trafficking stories, um, success stories because it was prevented, is actually in the second book of Kings. Oh, interesting. Isn't that great? And it provides a wonderful biblical um, presentation of a prevention strategy. So here's how it goes. Um, A woman goes to Elisha and she says, my husband has died and the creditors are coming to take my two sons as slaves for our debt. Mm. So typical push-pull story. She's a widow. There's a debt. They're going to take the two little boys as slaves. So what does Elisha do? Our typical Western response, um, I mean, I can see, Dave, you would be very willing to get your checkbook out and rescue those boys and write a check. Mm -hmm. Sure. But um, what's going to happen next month? She's going to be back with the same problem. So Elisha did not do that. He um, He didn't tell a story and then pass a plate. What he did was very different. He did a personal assessment of her circumstances. He asked her, what do you want? He asked her, what do you have in your house? And her response was pretty typical. She said, oh, I don't have anything. (laughs) I'm sure she's thinking, so why would I be here asking you for help if I had something, right? Um, And then she remembers, oh, I do have a little flask of olive oil. And um, a flask of olive oil is kind of like carrying um, an extra battery in your pocket to to light in case you're using a flashlight to get home at night. That's about all that is. It's not enough to cook a full meal. So then Elisha tells her, go and borrow all of the empty jars from your friends and family in the community. So Elisha engages the entire community, not in giving anything to her, but just providing empty jars vessels. And then this is the part where I don't know how, I just know this is where hope springs in my heart, because I know that there is a um, a unique aspect of how we interact with God. And so God just did something. She was obedient. She got all these jars, her boys helped her, and then they closed the door and she started pouring oil from the flask and filled up all of those jars. Hmm. Then she goes back to Elisha and says, the jars are full. And he says, go and sell the oil and you and your boys will live on that. So she went back. Now she went to the family and friends with these previously empty jars and they bought something they needed. They Olive oil is a daily staple of their life. And so it wasn't charity it was something they actually needed and in business models that we develop to address human trafficking we need to make sure that it is a viable business that will be sustainable over the long haul not just something that's um, a fad type thing so she became an olive oil businesswoman nobody did anything for those little boys they did everything for her they had a woman who was empowered and now, then, she can take care of her sons, and she is an olive oil businesswoman, and that's going to be sustainable as she raises her sons as part of a community that doesn't look down on her as needing charity, but as a woman who is part of the socio-economic um, um, aspect of that community.
0: When you think about this through the lens of Zambia, Sandy and the African countries, um, I know that there's been some really interesting uh, models that have emerged in recent years on microfinance and micro lending. And I think about Muhammad Yunus and uh, I forget, Indonesia, I believe is where yeah. he's done work. Um, are, is that an avenue for uh, women, particularly in impoverished areas of oh, being able wonderful. to get loans and start businesses? And has that been successful And in, uh, in your experience?
1: Across the board, in every um, evaluation of child trafficking, the number one prevention tool is a parent. Hmm. And in circumstances where kids are particularly vulnerable, that parent is often a single mom, a widow, or just a single mom, or... The um, someone in the community who has taken responsibility for a child, and when we look at business as um, an avenue for prevention, equipping those women to have their own businesses, micro lending, um, micro enterprise, all kinds of different strategies for this. IMF, the International Monetary Fund, actually tells us that women are better at paying back those microloans because they wanna see other women empowered. They're very successful, and even um, IMF also tells us that when you do education in, in this um, environment, it, um, there's actually a better return on investment for educating girls than for boys. Not that we should quit educating boys, but educating yeah. girls contributes to the socioeconomic growth in a community. And there's some pretty obvious reasons for that. Um, it seems to be more natural that when boys further their education, um, now they want to go out and conquer the world. So they leave the community. Whereas when you educate a girl, she stays and reinvests that education in her local community, mm. which makes the whole community healthier. Um Business as a model for doing prevention can be strategically focused at the most at-risk um, mothers and um, aunts and grandmothers so that they can take care of the children in their care. We have to remember, especially in, in areas where HIV-AIDS has decimated um, the population, uh, I, was, I was told by one healthcare care provider while I was in Zambia, that at least 14,000 children are right now orphans because of HIV AIDS. Incredible. So um, how do we help them? Well, we have to find one person that's going to be the adult in their life that makes sure that they're getting an education, that um, they're checking in with them so that they don't take that risky job that aunt so-and-so or the traveling um, preacher that comes through town mm-hmm. offers them. They are very at risk for taking anything that might offer hope of stability if they don't
0: have any options. And going back to our conversation last time about dreams being a push factor. Um, you know, Sandy, one thing you were mentioning there reminded me of something I heard a while ago, and I was wondering if you could help educate me on this and and maybe our audience too. Um, uh, some of the micro lending and women started businesses uh, someone had told me a while ago that there was some concern of uh, particularly in cultures where um, men were you know male-dominated cultures that there was some concern that um, as women started businesses and became successful that that resulted in jealousy on the part of the you know the husband or the men in the culture and that that was getting some women into trouble uh, as well. Have you had any experience with that, heard about that? Is that something that's still a concern for the micro-lending movement?
1: Yes. Actually, the whole idea of resistance in the community by um, males who feel threatened by this has definitely been addressed, and you can find lots of stories in the literature Hmm. to show where that does become problematic. That, though, um, means that we just have to do a better job educating Um, the male members of the community. So we we talk about the fact that this is not a zero-sum game. And in a zero-sum game, if you can imagine a pie, and there are six pieces of pie, and in the previous model, you, as the male, had five pieces of pie, and I, as the female, had one piece of pie. Mm -hmm. But now, in order to build... Um, our community and to make our children safer and on and on all the things we're talking about we want to empower the women and they're not going to be able to do that with only one piece of the pie so the the response then is resistance because i don't want to give up my five just so you can have equality Mm -hmm. well if you're in a zero-sum game the conversation is over So it's important to communicate to the whole community that this is not a zero-sum game and actually when we do this, we have a bigger pie. So there are more pieces for everyone. Um, I'll have to find the story and send you the link, but Mm -hmm. one great story was um, a microfinance project in another country in Africa and the... um, the wife took on this um, developing her own business. And at first, the husband was very resistant to that. Mm -hmm. But eventually, um, she was so successful that her husband became one of the employees. He's proud of her because they have more money than they've ever had before. And now she's hired several other of the relatives. So she has become an employer and increased the socioeconomic standing of everyone in the community. Mm-hmm. And no one is against having increased socioeconomic resources. And she is brilliant. She paid back her microfinance loan and continues to give into that local project so that other women in other communities have the same opportunity. So communicating that it is not a zero-sum game, that's the secret to overcoming male resistance.
0: And it is interesting how we, many of us, in situations like this, where we are, um, where it seems like people are giving up something, there is fear that comes into practice there first. And it's it's amazing. I you know, and I, as you know, Sandy, I spent a good part of my career studying organizations and training folks and leadership, and it's amazing whenever. Um, a leader or organization or group of people are giving something up that fear comes into that uh, extensively and that's a big obstacle to work through so it sounds like that communication that education piece is really key um, in, in speaking about education how do we how, how do we help parents protect kids when when we're talking about you know having parents who are empowered and having good education and good resources how does that happen
1: i think i think it requires especially in the context like we're talking about in Zambia it requires on the ground local trusted people so the women that it was mostly women that I was working with in Zambia that live in that district that work as teachers as nurses um one one of the women that I love talking to every day her name was um Sister Philippa and She has one job going out into the areas where children are not going to school, which by not going to school, their futures are impacted significantly. Mm. And she wants to get these kids going to school. Well, that means that she has to go talk to their families. She has to find out why Johnny That's um, not a normal name there, but um, why is he not going to school? Because it's boys, too. It's not just girls. I don't want to paint the picture that it's only girls. Um, And so she finds out, well, it's because um, we don't have money to buy shoes. So she finds shoes for the kids. They may not be brand new, but she finds shoes for them. And then she finds out, well, they don't have money for the books because... Um, part of the education is free and part of it that some of the supplies have to be purchased by the parents or they only have enough money for one of their four children. Mm. So she begins to find out why they're not going to school and plugging those holes. And when I um, learned more about her particular focus, what she does every day, she has 45 children that she makes sure that the families are making sure they get to school. She said it wouldn't do any good to round these kids up and put them in a nice little institution um, um, and have school in the institution for them. We want to keep them with their families, but we have to help their families learn how to make sure that their kids are getting an education. So she goes to the home, she talks to the parents, and I can imagine after this class some of the things that Sister Philippa is going to be saying to the moms of these kids.
0: Really is addressing the deeper concerns and issues that are there. Uh, And I think that a lot of us, Andy, I know certainly myself, we see a need and we want to, fix it right away we want to write a check or we want to do something and 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 those things can can be a step in the right direction but really if it's going to be sustainable it really does require that long-term conversation education the work that someone like sister phil of I is doing on a daily basis to really engage and empower people uh, boy you know just an just an incredible incredible uh story of 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 dedication and and graciousness to do that kind of work.
1: Well, and it reminds us to ask questions first, just like Elisha did. What do mm-hmm. you want? What do you have in your house? What are your resources? Let's start there.
0: Yeah. And boy, the questions are so, so key. And, you know, hopefully we have modeled that well throughout this podcast of really trying to, uh, you know, uh, understand the issues, be a voice, and make a difference. And uh, and understand that 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 key word there comes along with questions of us really asking questions. And I hope that as a member of this audience, that you are also willing and ready to ask us questions. And so, when uh, I hope that we've generated some questions for you today based on our conversation on the push and pull factors. And so, there's a few ways that you can reach out to us with questions so that you can understand the issues more effectively. And uh, that would be our listener hotline, which is at 714-966-6361. You can certainly reach out to us there. And then the other way to reach us is by email. And our email address is gcwj at vanguard.edu. And if you send an email there, it will... uh, get to us, and we will be able to respond to your question as well. And Sandy, one other quick reminder for folks is to visit our website. And you can reach the website at gcwj.vanguard.edu. There is a link in the lower left there to sign up for our monthly newsletter. We mentioned that last time. So be sure to Drop us your email there if you want to stay up to date with Sandy's travels and the work that the Global Center for Women and Justice is doing, because we're here to constantly support the process of ending human trafficking. And
1: start thinking now about coming to the conference in March 2013. You can go online and register.
0: Great. Sandy, I'll see you again in two weeks. All right. Thanks, Dave. Take care, everybody.